Well, as we uh, come to our time of teaching, I'll ask from the tech guys the control of the slides. If I can get it on the laptop, I will. And tonight, as you, as you know, in the evening services, this is not a uh, sermon. This is really a time of teaching. And so uh, I'll be teaching us tonight, walking us through really some Christian theology uh, using some of the PowerPoint here. And afterwards, there'll be a chance for uh, an opportunity to uh, text in questions, which I'll try to engage with and answer a little bit uh, following. So uh, why don't we, as we uh, just are gathered here, let's bow down, let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you and praise you tonight. We come remembering that in the very beginning you called the light day and the darkness night. And so we thank you, Father, for this evening again through the ages, how the sun has risen across the face of the earth and set, and the night has come by your command and by your design. We thank you, Father, this morning with the psalmist, or tonight with the psalmist who said, yours is the day and yours is the night. And so, Lord, we just wish to give ourselves over this evening in praise, give our minds over as we Consider this, um, this teaching on uh, some Christian theology by, that's been shared by your church in this branch and around the world. And we ask, Lord, that by your Spirit you would bless our time together and that you'd be pleased uh, with all that happens here. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, tonight's topic for teaching is let's talk about, uh, what is it? I can't say Let's talk about knowing God. Let's talk about knowing God. Uh, Steve Peake in his book, Coyote Dreaming, says, I think God is like the president of a giant corporation, and Buddha, Muhammad, and Jesus are his sales guys, and they all have different territories. <laughs> is that how you know God? Herod Kushner, a famous writer uh, in the States, uh, wrote a famous book, but he, he writes, he said, God is like a mirror. The mirror never changes, but everyone who looks at it sees something different. Is God knowable? Can we know God? This is kind of the theme that we've been on here, exploring some of these themes. Well, the answer is, we've noticed in the last time we looked at the Belgic Confession, which is one of the confessions we adopted here and we've been working through, is that yes, God is knowable. <laughs> it's possible to know about God and know God, and in fact, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, all the different attributes that we might know uh, from God, communicable attributes and incommunicable attributes. And there were 10 of them that we walked through. And thank you for staying with me, all those 10. Tonight, the topic is, well, God is knowable, yes, but really we want to talk a little bit about how. How is God knowable? And theologians and Christians uh, have used this word revelation, when we talk about the knowability of God. Revelation is God's act of communicating to us or the content of that communication. Revelation, God's act of communicating to us or the content of that communication. This is really the, the overall theme that we'll be just unpacking a little bit tonight in the context of Scripture, in the context of the Belgic Confession, which I introduced a bit last time, and just as we look at some Christian theology, well, there's two main ways that um, 
uh, Christians have talked about God being knowable, about God revealing himself. Two main ways uh, that revelation can be broken down and understood. And maybe you've seen these. Uh, God can be, God has been made known in creation, right, in the world. Uh, God has made himself known in the universe on the one side of your screen. On the other side of your screen, God has made himself known in Scripture, in, in the Word, of course, in the Bible, uh, in Jesus Christ, the living eternal Word. And on the left-hand side of your screen, Christian theologians call that first category of how is it that God re reveals himself to us uh, as general revelation. Remember, the sort of, uh, sort of the, 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 the mindset that we're bringing to all this is... Um, is that there is a God who exists, who has made the world, and we are God's creatures. And we'll look at that a little bit more, hopefully, as well. But on the left side of your screen is called general revelation, how God reveals himself through creation. And then theologians have talked about special revelation. Well, tonight, uh, we're going to talk mostly about general revelation. Now, the Belgic Confession, in the second part of it, which is one of the confessions adopted here at Blessings Church, uh, written many hundreds of years ago, puts it this way, this whole topic of revelation is God knowable. How is it that God makes himself known? Can we read this together? We know him by two means. First, by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe, which is before our eyes as a most beautiful book, wherein all creatures, great and small, are as so many letters leading to us perceive clearly God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, and divine nature, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1 and verse 20. All these things are sufficient to convict men and leave them without excuse. Second, he makes himself more clearly and fully known to us by his holy word and divine word, as far as is necessary for us in this life to his glory and, his, and our salvation. So let's talk mostly tonight about general revelation on the left-hand side of your screen because as we walk, pack, unpack this, this beautiful kind of doctrinal, theologically full statement uh, called the Belgic Confession over the next several weeks, the next many, many, uh, the next many weeks will be on special revelation. We're going to do one night on general revelation, okay? So we'll, we'll have time to get to the special revelation idea a bit later. But general revelation, God's Here's a definition of it, is God's clear display of his glory and power in the works of creation and providence. There's one definition. General revelation as an idea, just to get your heads into it, if, if some of, many of us, I think, <laughs> would be call ourselves churchgoers, maybe you're not, but if you are kind of used to the church world, just remember that we're talking about general revelation, God making himself known without the Bible, without preaching, some of you may be happy about that. No church, <laughs> no Jesus at all, but at the same time, all those things are absent in general revelation, but, but God is still known to an extent. Have you ever thought about that? God being made known without any of those things. So tonight, let's talk about four aspects of knowing God very quickly. How it general revelation, how it happens, uh, what general revelation reveals, as Christians have thought about it, what general revelation doesn't reveal, and what it leads to, and what it leads to. Four, four very quick points. Well, there's ABC. 
Number one, how it happens, general revelation. So we learn in this theological statement that we're using as our basis for Christian theology tonight as we talk about this, that general revelation happens through, God uses this through creation, through the preservation of creation, and through the government of the universe. Three ways that specifically we can understand God making himself known. The first one is in creation. Very famous psalm, Psalm 19, an ancient psalm. Ancient, ancient people living many hundreds of years, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, uh, through the inspiration of the Spirit, had this, had this, this, this truthful insight about how God makes himself known without the Bible, without Jesus, without preaching. And Psalm 19 uh, says, the heavens declare the glory of God. That the, the heavens, we look up at the heavens, we'll read it in a minute, and we see God as the master architect of the, the, the universe, the stars, the sky. Uh, every moment, Psalm, 1, Psalm 19 says that God's glory, God's goodness is known. And it's universal to all people. So, so creation is this, maybe the very first way into this. And just, you got to just, we got to just think for a minute. I don't want to tell too many, like, we don't have time for too many kind of little stories. But maybe, I mean, just, you got to think now for a minute, about a time, just when you were in the creation somewhere, wherever it was, you know, um, Bayfront, out at a camp. One, I remember I was about 15. I was at a summer Christian camp way up in northern Quebec, north of Ottawa. And we went out one night over Lac Castor, up north of Gatineau, and it was the first time I ever saw the northern lights, like dancing in the sky, like the size of skyscrapers. And as a 15-year-old, I'll tell you, I was very much blown away by that and really got an atten- the attention of my mind, but also of my imagination and of my heart and made me think about a creator who could have made something as wonderful as that. Psalm 19 puts it this way, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, and night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. So, General revelation in creation, as we learn from the very first sentence of, this, of the confession, is this. I just said, you picture yourself out on the beach seeing that sunset, and it blow, takes your breath away, or the, if you're an early riser, the sunrise takes your breath away, and there is an inbuilt kind of thing in God's world that, that, that looking out at creation around us, if, if the sky kind of blows us away one day looking at its wonder and looking at its beauty, what does that say about the, the maker of the sky? That's the idea, creation. Poets have picked up on this a lot. We won't spend much longer on this one, but poets have picked up on this. Earth below with belted seas that come and go, the endless isles of sunlight green, wherein God's glory may be seen. Have you experienced that? John Calvin puts it this way, the glory... Is it up there? Yeah. The glory of God is written and imprinted in the heavens as in an open volume, which all men may see. The glory of God is not written in small, obscure letters, but isn't this beautiful? Richly engraved in large and bright characters in which all may read with the greatest 
of ease. General revelation, looking at creation and having a sense that there is someone who made that. We also learn, uh, theologians have also written and talked about general revelation happening through times when we notice the preservation of the universe that uh, we see here in Job. He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. The idea of stability and continuity, the sun rising and setting, as I said, the moon, uh, the earth spinning. We were having a talk about this in our household a couple days ago because I always practice these talks on our household. And we're saying, how far is the moon from Earth? Is, you know, how big is it? How long would it take to get to the moon? Um, but all of, these, all of the, this idea of the Earth being preserved, the Earth continues to spin, the animals continue to grow, and re- fields continue, all of that continues. And it's amazing in some ways that it does, isn't it? That for, for centuries and centuries, there's been this level of preservation within creation. And theologians talk about immediate preservation and immediate preservation in creation that point us to a creator, this idea that if you're an animal, you need something to keep you alive and so you'll eat food and that's immediate preservation and immediate preservation. There are things in creation we see that seem to not need anything to keep on going, like the stars in the sky or the earth spinning or whatever it might be. But whatever it may be, the idea is that things continue on. Isn't that amazing? How many things do you start, how many things do we start in our own lives that just kind of carry on? They just go. Well, not many, right? Many things in our lives, they need effort. They need, they need a push. They need to be moved down the road. And yet here in creation, we see this wonderful sense of things being preserved and continuing, and, uh, and, and we're meant, we're invited to point to outside of ourselves. Thirdly, general, we're still on general revelation. We're gonna, this is going to go quick, but... How it happens, the government of the universe is the little phrase we see in that confessional statement that we read. So this is the idea that there is order to the universe, right? And uh, as you start taking your biology in, 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 in university or wherever it may be, high school, you start reading into all of uh, biology and ethics and so forth, what you might, you know, you talk about the theory of evolution and those conversations come up and you think this is a really great launching pad to talk about this, that there is government and order in the universe, right? If, if we're trying to say that, um, I'm going on a tangent here, but just an example, if we try to say that there is an orderly, beautiful world in which we can see certain laws that govern the universe, then uh, how is it logical, rational, or orderly to say that all of that came from disorder? I won't go any further on that, but just that's a thought experiment that you can do. There is government to the universe. There are laws to the universe. There's a law of gravitation. What can I drop? I have nothing to drop. My keys. I'm not going to drop them. Law of gravitation. Happens every time. Every time. It happens every time. Isn't that amazing? There's a, there's a law of centrifugal force when you're on a merry-go-round. You can measure this. The force that you feel pushing, pushing you outward. And centripetal force, that force is drawing you inwards if you're on the merry-go-round. So you stay where you are and not fly off or in. In that circle, it happens, you can measure it. Laws of motion, right? Um, An object in motion will stay in motion unless acted upon by an unbalanced force, right? This is a law that physicists have looked at and that have turned upside down in, in quantum mechanics. But there are laws, you know, that people study and see, and it's like, wow, this is incredible. We can measure that here, there, and everywhere. There's order to this. There's government to this. This can't be something that has just happened out of a 
pool of irrationality and disorder. There must be a creator behind all of this. And we see in Acts chapter 17, um, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands, a sense of the government of the universe. So that is the idea of general revelation, right? In creation, in general, preservation of the universe and the government of the universe. All these things as we think about them and see them are meant to point us to, uh, to knowing one aspect of what, what one aspect of God, some aspects of God. So, in Christian theology, what is it that general revelation actually reveals? And that's right in the, in the catechism question. It's right in the confession question. It's pretty specific. And it comes from a Bible verse. General revelation, in general, <laughs> reveals God's eternal power and divinity. Okay, eternal power and divinity. We'll come back to this one. This is in Romans 1 and verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen. And that's a wonderful argument that Paul uses to begin uh, the wonderful um, sort of exposition of the whole gospel in Romans chapter 1. That, that general revelation, the, the cre- so that we see God's eternal power and divine nature. Every, we'll get to this in a minute, but those are the two things that are revealed. God's eternal power and divine. When you're standing out on the beach and you see the beautiful, whatever it is, it's meant to point us to God's power and to his divinity. Now, some people like, maybe you're a philosopher here tonight, maybe you're searching, maybe you're kicking the tires of Christian faith, maybe you've been in the church a long time and you're like, wow, I love general revelation. This is the best thing. This is what I want. I just want this. Well, some people like general revelation more than other parts, any other ways God reveals himself to us, right? Because why is that? Well, it's pretty broad for one thing, but it feels more exciting, right? To be kind of seeing something wonderful in the world. Ah, wow, I saw God. I saw something of God today. I was out of my bike, you know, um, Sunday morning, 11 a.m. I was biking and I saw God. It was wonderful. And it feels more authoritative sometimes, right? You... Uh, God spoke to me alone. That was it. I heard from God directly. Number C, no need for careful Bible study. You can just see God in creation, right? So, so sometimes we can find ourselves liking general revelation more than other ways that God reveals himself. All right, number three. We'll move along here. What doesn't general revelation reveal? So if we're just thinking this all through, are there any are there any, uh, what's the word, um, sort of limitations to general revelation? And theologians talk a lot about this, maybe too much about this, but they talk a lot about this. What doesn't general revelation in creation reveal to us? Are there limits to what we can know? Are there limits to how God has made himself known in the world? Well, yes, there are. Jesus Christ as Savior is not revealed through general revelation. God reconciling us to himself through the cross of Christ is not part of general revelation. There's no outpouring of the Holy Spirit in general revelation through creation. There's no salvation in general revelation through creation at all. And I made up a whole bunch of, I read two of these little statements that I found really helpful in kind of delineating uh, the limitations of general revelation. I, I, I used two of these from a, a, an article and then I wrote about uh, 12 more of them because I just got, I, I was on a roll. 
Uh, I'll share them with you. What doesn't general revelation reveal? <laughs> so an example, the sky can't tell us that history is moving forward. I hear a whole bunch. The ocean can't tell us that God has a purpose for your life. The rivers can't tell us about the cross, sin, salvation, or a savior. Ants can't tell us that nothing will separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ. Jellyfish can't tell us about God's gracious compassion. Are you getting this? Sunset can't tell us about our mortality. Cave diving can't help us discover why we're made. A walk in the woods can't lead us to Father, Son, Holy Spirit. A flock of geese, I don't know why I use that, can't speak of us about a prodigal son or a heavenly father, right? That's the idea, right? I was, I was, having, I was enjoying that this week. Okay. Strange way to enjoy, but I, it's, you know, it's, it's a, if you start thinking about it and talking with people about it, those are pretty severe limitations, aren't they? Pretty severe limitations and kind of makes sense. You just put it in those kinds of terms. Okay. The fourth point under general revelation, what does it lead to, this idea of general revelation? What, what, where does it go? What's the positive? What's the constructive side of this? What's the positive side of, of general revelation? Well, three things. We learn this in Romans as well and just through thinking about this and in other parts of Scripture. Number one, all people everywhere know that God exists. That's, a, that's kind of a heavy statement, isn't it? But it, it's a, it really is a part of this confessional uh, piece that we're going through. And we see this in Scripture as well in Romans. All people everywhere know that God exists. Have we ever thought about that? That that's the way God has made the world. That there's nobody anywhere that doesn't, ought not know that God exists. All people everywhere know some truths about God. His divinity is power through creation. All people everywhere know that God is worthy of worship. Uh, the one who's made all things, who's bigger than I am, who's greater than I am. I feel like such a creature here under the northern lights. And Romans 1 and 20 gives the second half of that. Since for the, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Now, there's a slide I skipped, this one, which theologians put this little phrase, the census divinitatis, the sense of divinity. And this is really, uh, should be in the fourth thing, what it leads to, this idea that, 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 that people everywhere have this sense of divinity within them. It's kind of there, right? And different theologians have called this the starting point or the beginning or the light within, whatever it might be. But, but, but all of us have that as image bearers of God, as, as creatures of God. All of us have this inerrant sense of, of there being um, a God. So that's, I just, that's our general revelation. There it is. So that's general revelation, really quickly. Creation, world, universe in the and in the cat in the confession it's called one book uh, and then the other book is special revelation i'll take 30 seconds or less to go through this because we're going to do a lot of this but that is in scripture in the word in the bible it's another book right in which god it says in the belgic speaks more clearly we see in ephesians the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. We see in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Special revelation, the word of God has a difference to it. It has a special authority. 
unlike general revelation and a special sufficiency, which we'll have a chance to talk about. There's the two circles. General revelation, the world. Special revelation, the word. Two books. It's the way the Belgic Confession Article 2 puts it. Two books, but one author. We looked at how it happens, what it reveals, what it doesn't, and what it leads to. And I want to leave us, if we could, with uh, a little bit of a of a response. This is a prayer from morning prayers in the Eastern Orthodox Church. And they have this beautiful statement. Oh, how do we respond to thinking about something like general revelation or special revelation? The Lord, God is the Lord, and he's revealed himself to us. This is part of their morning prayer, part of their gratitude, part of their thanksgiving in their prayer life that God has uh, not left himself unknown. It's a very famous uh, story from ancient Assyria. It's written down. We still have it. It's several thousand years old. And it's a long tale of two men who go to a temple to offer some kind of sacrifice. And they have a long, drawn-out, protracted discussion. And one of them is so upset because his life is not going very well. His crops have failed, his families, he's losing children. Other guy's life is going fine. And the guy whose life is not going well is very, very troubled. And he uh, comes to this kind of phrase when he's talking to his friend on the way into the temple. Something I, I didn't, I'm paraphrasing now to make it more, I, just, I, just, I wish I knew what God required of me so that these bad things would kind of stop happening to me. And it's a striking story, thousands of years old, of someone who is struggling with this idea. It, has, God made him, has God made himself known? Is God knowable? Has God revealed himself? And it's hard for us sometimes to get our heads into that, especially if we've been in the church a long time. Oh, yeah, sure, God is knowable. I opened the Bible. But imagine a world, imagine a time when you felt you had no access, no uh, intervention, no message. Uh, no command, no direction, no knowledge whatsoever of the one who is in all and through all and knows all. And so I think, I think, I think we are encouraged. Hopefully this has uh, been informative for us. I hope it will be helpful as we think about our Christian faith in the week ahead. But I hope also we can leave from this kind of talk with some gratitude that indeed God is the one who has revealed himself to us. All right, let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you for a chance to think about a topic like this tonight and for your goodness to us. We thank you that we indeed, in a way, have been left without excuse, each one of us, all of us, on the face of this earth, that, Lord, you've, you've, you've written the beautiful book of the world, and we thank you, Lord, that we can enjoy it in all its beauty that we can allow ourselves to be pointed to your power, your divinity, your wonder, that we can be people who, in a sense, experience awe because of who you are and wonder outside of ourselves and how small, Lord, our own problems often become when we're able to regard your majesty, your wonder, your greatness. And so, Lord, we um, thank you for this time and ask your blessing upon it in Jesus' name. Amen.